welcome back to the second episode of A Chat About History with me, Tom. So our first episode was looking at the Thucydides trap, specifically in its ancient context. Uh, and today I'm planning on continuing along that trend by continuing to look at the Thucydides trap, but in its modern context, so examining the current situation between China and America and how that relates to the Thucydides trap and the accuracy is of the model on present day relations along with that also the uh, the likelihood of war which is ultimately what the Thucydides trap is predicting that China and the US are likely to go to war in the in the near future or at least more likely than people believe so to just quickly go over what we looked at last episode, uh, it was specifically the quote from Thucydides that defines this Thucydides trap that goes like this, it states, it was the rise of Athens and the fear that this instilled in Sparta that made war inevitable. So that's what we looked at and I came to the conclusions that it was a quite unreliable theory of uh, international relations, as whilst Athens was rising in power, Sparta wasn't afraid. It's too simplistic, mapping a bipolar model onto what was a multipolar world in ancient Greece. And it's also an oversimplification in that, and that, that is why, sorry, it's an oversimplification of, of uh, international relations in ancient Greece. And also, what I will go on to argue, that it's an oversimplification of international relations today as well. So, looking into it now in terms of the modern context, we're going to look at the rise of China and how that works in the context of the 21st century and how, and the 20th century as well, how their rise has taken place in the context of uh, international, other international powers and changing power dynamics in the global scene. Then also the fact that, is it fair to say America is afraid, as Sparta, as uh, Alison claims Sparta was? in his original case of the Thucydides trap. And finally, we're going to look at the inevitability of war and the likelihood of war as well, because I'm not in favour of inevitability as a concept, believing in human agency, etc. So we can look at also the, the likelihood of war and how likely is it actually that the Thucydides trap will play out and China and America will go to war. So let's get started on the getting into this modern context. So, as I'm sure we have worked out, the parallels are that China is parallel with the rising power of Athens, and America is likened to Sparta as the dominant power at the time that is under threat from the rising power, and that this leads to the two going to war. So I think it's fair to say the US has enjoyed hegemony at least since the end of the Cold War and its defeat of the Soviet Union, uh, if you can call it, yeah, a defeat of the Soviet Union. And that's kind of continued until the modern day, as America hasn't really been challenged on the global stage by another power considerably. And they came out of World War II as the only state with nuclear weapons, ensuring the start of that hegemony. And then with the downfall of the Soviet Union, they America was pretty much the unrivaled uh, global hegemon 
and we can see that today through uh, a couple of reasons, particularly their the military military might and intervention. So the America has 752 military installations in over 130 countries, which is kind of a nice, uh, nice wide wide selection of military bases there that's indicative of their global power. Uh, and then they've also had a lot of engagement in foreign countries, both historically and obviously in the 21st century. You know, two obviously um, obvious examples would be Afghanistan and Iraq in 2001-2003 respectively as elements of the war on terror. If you look specifically at Iraq, there wasn't really a, an international mandate there. It was basically the United States along with Britain and a few other countries that decided to go in and there wasn't a a um, internationally provided, internationally um, recognised mandate to go in from the UN or any other international body, which I think is fair to say would lead to the Iraq war being unjustified, especially since, uh, in hindsight, the weapons of mass destruction uh, seem to be quite elusive in that they didn't really exist. Um, so not only is America uh, proven its hegemony through its military might, it's also through alliances and its dominance of the UN. So the US provides 22% of the UN budget in 2017 and 29% of the peacekeeping budget. So that's a significant chunk uh, of of their, uh, and that's kind of their shares in the in the econ economics behind global cooperation. And even with that, we know they didn't get the mandate they needed for Iraq. But it does show how they can provide undue influence within the United Nations and use that to, uh, I think coerce would be too, too extreme possibly or maybe not, but at least influence uh, international affairs uh, with the illusion of a of a international effort and cooperation when actually it's very much supported by the US. Yeah, and you can look at the Korean War as a good example of that where uh, the US intervened and actually, you know, Russia would have vetoed had they had they been there and the US provided the, the majority of the troops in that uh, proxy war as part of the Cold War. So I, I think we can establish that the US uh, has been the dominant power in a unipolar world since the Soviet Union, but it is definitely fair to say right now we are trending towards, trending away from the unipolar world and towards either a bipolar or multipolar world. So if they these traps specifically would would uh, indicate we're going towards a bipolar world and that the main threat to the US is China and that is within the constraints of the trap pretty much the only threat that the trap accounts for. Uh, which I think is uh, it's accurate to the degree that China is a threat to the United States hegemony. So China is one of the one of the fastest growing economies or has been in recent history, though obviously it's slightly slightly slowing down now as it's the second largest economy in the world behind the United States. But it's still growing at a significantly faster rate than the United States economy is. But the, it's the rate of this uh, change that's happened in China that's kind of so fascinating. In the nineteen seven, in the in nineteen seventy eight, ninety percent of people within China were below the extreme poverty line, whereas by twenty fourteen, that was only one percent, showing just the the drastic rate of Chinese economic growth that has taken the the Western world, in particular United States, by surprise. However, Xi Jinping very clearly said in 2014 
that he thinks this is a trend towards a multipolar world where it's not just the rise of China, but the rise of many other global powers that will spread power more evenly around the globe rather than purely in the United States or in the United States and China. So that is interesting in itself. That that's what Xi Jinping believes or wants people to think that he believes uh, when he states that we're trending towards a multipolar world. However, in, on this occasion, actually, I do think he is, um, he's right in the, the trend. Whilst currently China is probably the biggest threat to the United States, I do believe that there's also rises of other significant nations globally. If you look at India, which is the world's largest democracy, and it was actually the fifth fastest growing economy in 2019, and the majority of the economies that were faster growing were significantly smaller. I think Ethiopia was one, along with some others. Um, it wasn't the likes of China and US or other very large economies that were growing faster than India. And also, if we look at Russia, their, their kind of revival in recent times with uh, the Crimea in 2014, where they annexed that. And then in terms of contemporary situations, both the Navalny poisoning that's happened recently, and there's yet to really be a concerted, concerted effort against Russia in response to that, in which it's almost certain that they poisoned Navalny with a Novichok nerve agent. And also the Nord Stream 2 policy between um, Germany and Russia, that would provide a lot of um, gas from Russia to Germany and the EU and ultimately lead to a reliance upon Russia for energy within the EU, which I think is something America is concerned about. Uh, but it is still... Oh, there's a bit of doubt over it at the moment, especially following the Navalny, but I've, I think it's likely, it's fair to say it's likely it will still go ahead, which all gives Russia a bit of a... I think a lot of people consider Russia as punching way above its weight in terms of its international influence, also with electioneering, etc. So I, I, I think it's be very naive to rule Russia out as a global player, despite the fact their economy isn't in the same league as that of the US and China. And then finally, you could look at the EU as a possible, as a, as a collective block in, in challenging in working as a cohesive group in challenging other nation states. However, I think this is less likely as we've seen in recent history where the, the UK voting to leave in 2016 to some extent weakens the, the, the power and the unity of the EU and also the generic ageing populations within the, in, within the European Union Sorry, uh, is also a concern that would also challenge America but um, it's particularly marked in, in a lot of the EU countries. I mean, it's less likely it'll be challenging, but it is also a very, still a very influential block, although some would say it's, it is following into America, but, but it still exerts, exerts influence, and especially now the UK is less involved in the EU, I think there will be a slightly more autonomous body as members of the, uh, as, you know, as a, as a force for, force for, for change in the world. So that's kind of looking at the the rise of China. So how so we've kind of seen how whilst China is rising, there's also a multipolar trend across the world with a distribution of power going beyond just the North American continent with the United States. So whilst there may be a period where we can see it very markedly as a bipolar relationship, uh, I think this this period will be very short lived as other countries growth continues to escalate 
in the same way China's has recently. And it, we view the world in a much more multipolar rather than bipolar manner that to some extent undermines the validity of Thucydides' trap. And that theory espoused by Allison. So if we move on now from rising power of China to actually America, and would it be fair to say that America is afraid of this Chinese threat? So I think the key thing to see here is the parallel, not between America and Sparta, but between America and Athens in terms of its short-term policies. And what I mean by that is the nature of both Athens and America is that they're governed by democracy. So foreign policy regularly shifts as Republican presidents are replaced by Democrats and vice versa, as we saw with Trump and Obama, and we may see in the near future with Biden and Trump, as we are, you know, wait to see what the election will bring us in November. But if you look at Trump's recent administration, I don't know whether you say it's fair to see Trump is afraid. Trump is definitely uh, more hostile to China. So obviously his trade war initiated tariffs on 50% of China's exports to the US. And that went, and that's, you know, that, that's kind of been a continuing theme in Trump's relations with China. And there was the 50% of tariffs was specifically in 2018. But also, again, we've seen recently, like right now, Trump is trying to ban TikTok and WeChat from the US, which are both uh, social media apps, which uh, which Trump's believes are feeding China American people's data. And I think there's more evidence there that WeChat is doing that than TikTok. Uh, however, a Democratic lawyer has stopped Trump from banning WeChat uh, in literally the last few days. So whilst that probably won't go ahead, uh, it is indicative of Trump's hostile policy towards China, uh, not only trying to defend, in this case, defending what he believes is American people, but uh, it's it's a, it's indicative of his policy of trying to antagonise China as well. It's fair to say, to appease, well, you know, to in my view, appease his voters and give his chance of give the appearance of his stance of being tough on China, which is a phrase he commonly uses. Uh, and also, I mean, his handling of the COVID nineteen pandemic, where he regularly refers it to the refers to the the pandemic as the China flu, rather than the coronavirus or COVID-19, which again stokes tensions between him and China on a on a relatively trivial level in this sense, but it, it it's it's indicative of his of his harshness and his lack of communication and cooperation with China, which is very much in contrast to the Obama administration, which ties back into what I was saying about the parallels with Athens. So whereas Trump has initiated these trade wars and the attempts to ban TikTok and WeChat. Uh, Obama visited China in 2009, which was his first year in office, and stated that it was the most important bilateral relationship of our time, which is a stark contrast to Trump's policies, uh, which seem to be almost dismissive of China and confident in America's superiority. But ultimately, what we're seeing is both Democratic and Republican presidencies and individuals as well as party. So Obama as a man and Trump as a man as well as presidents of the United States. Both of them look at China as important in that 
Trump made them, made them central, but as an enemy to focus against, whereas Obama tried to reconcile the interests of China and America in working together for economic cooperation. So whilst both recognise China as important, I think Trump's, Trump's strategy and policy indicates more of a fear of China, but both of them, neither of them would obviously admit that America is afraid of China. However, I think it's fair to say America is definitely concerned about Chinese development. But ultimately, how it handles it is going to be inconsistent because of the nature of democracy. And if we take that direct parallel to Athens, you know, the Athenians were equally equally um, torn in the original case where we see things like the Mytilenean debate where Athens actually send out ships to Mytilene and then have a debate on it the next day and realise actually they don't want to send the ships to... So enact really harsh punishments. Um, and then they, they sent out a second ship that rose all day and all night to stop it, which is a complete reversal in the space of just 24 hours. And the cycles of exile we see with Athenian politicians, so example Thucydides, who the travels named after was exiled from, from Athens at one point, which allowed him probably to write his histories. Um, so we can be grateful for that at least. And also, so at the time of these supposed rising tensions between Athens and Sparta, we have a Chemon, who was an Athenian politician, but was like the Spartans so much, he named his son Lacedaemonius, which is the root of the word Lacedaemon, which means Sparta. And Lacedaemonius was a general sent to Civita, the battle in the Corsaira incident, um, which stoked tensions between Athens and Sparta. So we can see that it, it's it's very much a, a, a fluctuating system in America and the responses to China will be different depending on the specific leaders who are in power at the time. But it's fair to say America is concerned about Chinese growth of power, but uh, afraid I think will be pushing it, pushing it, pushing it far at the moment, but possibly so. It's definitely, America is definitely concerned. So finally, we'll move on to the ultimate question, I guess, which is, is war inevitable? To which I strongly answer, no, nothing is inevitable. The America and China can avoid war. I think to say anything's inevitable is uh, very presumptive. And it discounts the fact that humans can, can in my view, change, change anything. And nothing, no matter how disastrous, dangerous, or likely it seems, is inevitable. So, Alison's push towards the view that the war is inevitable, or at least highly likely, um, is the fact that in 12 of the last 16 cases that he has looked at where he has mapped the situation of a rising power against a dominant power, he believes that war has happened in 12 of the last 16 cases. I personally think this is a little bit inaccurate. Uh, in that often his relations don't really match the reality of the situation, i.e. the cause of World War One being a rise of Germany against Britain, which is thing, I think personally is too simplistic. Uh, I think that would be definitely be fair to say. But also the fact that the most recent two out of his 16 scenarios were both peacefully concluded and neither of them led to war. So what, what could have changed, I guess, for these last two scenarios? And the biggest change, and the biggest reason why I think war is not inevitable, is the development of nuclear weapons. 
obviously nuclear war is unprecedented none has yet occurred but one thing that would definitely happen in the case of any any nuclear bomb even just one being dropped is um huge destruction but to have two powers with the nuclear capacities of the us and china engage in war um it would be disastrous not only for those two countries but for the world so for that to happen it would have to be extreme and the doctrine of mad mutually assured destruction really i think does it, it, yeah, the, the the degree of destruction that would happen if two powers on the scale of America and China went to war would be uh, disastrous, but in every sense, I think. So I, I can't see that happening. And that's not just because it's so disastrous, I, I can't possibly conceive it. I just don't think either of the two leaders will be willing to put their their countries to up to that much risk. Because both of them know that in the present climate, they there is no... New, adequate nuclear defence yet, so both countries would be destroyed completely as both countries would launch nukes and with the nuclear submarines that now exist, nukes could be launched from anywhere, even if China did nuke America before they could get land nukes off, although that's very unlikely, they could. America could and would retaliate with uh, nuclear submarines. So until a nuclear shield becomes or is invented or becomes uh, available in one of those countries I just cannot see the possibility of nuclear war whereas if there was a nuclear shield then one country could be confident they would not be attacked that I think could possibly make make war more likely but currently the nuclear element does mean means that to me war is a, is pretty much inconceivable in the current state of affairs but also on a more on a more positive note I think we would have the best communication we've ever had before the uh, it, yeah in terms of the communication that Xi Jinping can have with the American president of the time. If you compare that to the, the most recent case, which was the Cuban Missile Crisis, where obviously no nuclear missiles were launched in the end, but Khrushchev and JFK were communicating via telegrams that took days to get to each other, and it obviously led immediately to the um, initiation of the Red Telephone, or the Moscow-Washington hotline in 1963, which really shows how both of them realised that actually we need a good lines of communication, which now, in the age of modern technology, uh, exist. So in that sense, I think it would be harder for both countries to engage in a dialogue which denigrated so quickly down to, down to war, although it is obviously still, still feasible, but the, the issue of miscommunication would, is less likely to happen than it was in Cuba, which is partly the reason why the world got so close to war. And finally, on a more optimistic note for myself, I could see that US and China could band together to face existential, existential threats to humanity. And this might sound very optimistic from me, especially in the current state of affairs with COVID, Trump and climate change. But if we look at existential threats of climate change, it is China that is currently a member of the Paris Agreement, although they're not necessarily following it as rigidly as they could be, but they are assigned to it, whereas it's America that has pulled out of this. And hopefully, well, Biden has said that if he becomes president, he will reinstate himself in the climate agreement, which would again engage in national cooperation and a, and a shared goal of humanity. And I think this will only increase as time goes on and people realise the severity of the climate crisis we're in. But that is an existential threat that I could see global powers uniting against in the in the near future. But I think an, a critic of mine would say 
right now we are in a situation where there is an existential threat that is COVID-19 and how that's been ravaging across the world. Uh, and that has probably worsened relations rather than any engage, leading to any kind of international cooperation between America and China, as Trump's obviously taken the position of calling it the China flu and repeatedly asserting that he thinks it was probably made in a lab in China, or at least that's something that shouldn't be ruled out. So I think a critic could say that of me, but ultimately I think if if a war was like to happen, I think between Trump and Xi Jinping, they are two leaders where I think it's, it looks more conceivable, definitely with Trump more so than any other previous American president, or in a Biden presidency that may, uh, that looks currently in the polls is likely to to occur from November. So we will see what happens there. But the fact that Trump has managed to get through his presidency without any nuclear war with China is to some extent reassuring that actually it's more inconceivable than we previously believed. So I'm just going to conclude now on this Thucydides Trap mini-series of two episodes and uh, look at the current relationship between China and America. So ultimately I think the Thucydides Trap it, it doesn't account for the multipolar world that was the case in ancient Greece with powers such as Corinth and then the, ex and then the existential threat of Persia actually in, in ancient Greece as well as Thebes and many other city-states that um, had influence over Sparta and over Athens. Uh, so in that sense, the, the Thucydides trap is very much a linear relationship between two two powers, which which isn't isn't the case in modern day either. Even though we may have a short period where China and the US are both two are both sim you know similarly powerful powers, and there's a gap between them and the next closest. But the the increased rate of growth of countries like India, and as I mentioned earlier, the the power exerted by Russia and the power that may still be exerted hopefully in the future by the EU should account to lead towards a multipolar trend from the world rather than that of a continuous bipolar relationship that the, the, the Thucydides trap leaves we'll get into with China and America. Um, but ultimately, I guess as I said, we have, the, we have the inconsistent leadership that in America that was also the case in, in Athens back then, although Athens was the rising power, whereas America is the current dominant power. Which both, I think, lead to a little bit of a diversity in policy, and it means it's all a little bit more unpredictable. Whereas I think Xi Jinping has a pretty consistent policy in regards to China and his domestic policy as well as his foreign international relations. Uh, so, and then rounding it all up, that I think war is not inevitable, and I actually think it's unlikely that China and the US will go to war in the near future. And whilst Athens and Sparta did go to war. They didn't have nuclear weapons. They weren't very good at communicating with each other, and they failed at arbitration many times. Uh, and they didn't have the global global capacity of cooperation that we that we do now. And whilst they obviously had Panhellenic games and religions, etc., they um, the the existential threat of their age was Persia that they had they had defeats, and I think they they believed to taken a back seat. Whereas in our age, I think. Climate change is only growing, and unlike the Persians, it's not something we can defeat on a battlefield. It will take a lot of um, a lot of domestic policy changes and a long, prolonged period of international cooperation to fix it. So the optimist in me would hope that China and America will band together to face 
existential threats like climate change or any future pandemics we may face. So that has been my little mini-series on the Thucydides trap. I hope you've enjoyed. Please leave any comments down below and I'll see you in the future for another episode on something to do with history or ancient history that I think is relevant or interesting at the time. So I hope you have a great day. Goodbye.